Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. My name is Jesse Romero. I am the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. My, my partner, Terry, is out doing apostolic work as usual. By the way, the Terry and Jesse Show, this is High Energy Catholic Radio. Uh, this is where we invite you to, to spend the holy hour of power with us, and we promise you that this hour will not be low-energy Catholic radio. We are two Catholics with a Ph.D. in common sense, and I'm reporting for duty. A couple of items I want to mention before today's gospel, and just want to remind you, today's also the feast of St. Ambrose of Milan. Pray for us. St. <clears throat> Ambrose of Milan, one of the great early church fathers, he was, he was very instrumental in the conversion of the young St. Augustine. And that's, that's quite a feat because, uh, again, St. Augustine was, uh, he was a hard nut to crack. St. Ambrose of Milan, <clears throat> he was born in Trier around 340 AD. He was uh, elected bishop at Milan, Milan, Italy, at age 35. He was an eloquent preacher. He was especially noted for his homilies on virginity. He was so convincing that uh, his discourses were so powerful that some mothers refrained from sending their daughters to a Sunday Mass for fear of losing them to the church. <clears throat> a young Augustine once moved, listened and moved by the, the homilies of this great bishop. And uh, he came towards the Christian faith as a result of St. Ambrose's homilies. In his homilies and moral works, St. Ambrose extolled the virtue of Mary and defended the divinity of Christ against his, the, the Arian heresy of his day. St. Ambrose died in 397 AD. He's one of the four original doctors of the church. And uh, as Sirach chapter 15 verse 5 says, it could be applied to St. Ambrose. It says, In the midst of the church he opened his mouth, and the Lord filled him with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and clothed him in a robe of glory. O God, who made Bishop St. Ambrose a teacher of the Catholic faith and a model of apostolic courage, raise up in your church men after their own heart, after your own heart, to govern her with courage and wisdom through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Let me give you some items, news items of the day, then I'll get right into some soul food, the gospel of today. Then today I'm going to talk about Our Lady Guadalupe. And then we... Uh, a lot of people, especially in Hispanic parishes, they have a, an entire week festival of Our Lady Guadalupe. Over here in my parish, Our Lady Guadalupe in Queen Creek, every single na- night we're having rosary processions uh, around the church, outside with, uh, with an image of Our Lady Guadalupe. Hundreds of people, rosaries in hands at nighttime with candles. Beautiful. Then we go inside. Um, I give a quick lecture on the history of Our Lady Guadalupe, both in English and Spanish, over here in Our Lady Guadalupe in Queen Creek. And then in the evening, right after that, we end up with a beautiful holy sacrifice of the Mass. With uh, And again, uh, you can tell the difference when there's reverence and when there's not reverence. And thanks to Father Octavio, who's uh, very, very reverent as he celebrates Mass. So, let me just jump into some of the news items and mention, in passing, Elon Musk... He blasted the New York Times. The New York Times and left-leaning outlets such as CBS, ABC, and the Washington Post for at least a day did not cover the explosive news that Twitter executives work with the Biden campaign and the Democratic National Committee to censor Trump supporters ahead of the 2020 election. Twitter CEO Elon Musk, he noted the lack of coverage 
describing the New York Times as an unregistered lobbying firm for far-left politicians. Thank God for this uh, man of goodwill. God bless him. Also, Representative Kevin McCarthy, he's a Republican from California. He aims to investigate big tech, and he aims to become the next Speaker of the House as well. He said the Republican Party must be ready to take action to address the scandal of Twitter colluding with the Biden team. Here's what he said, quote, Now we need to start looking at Facebook, at Google. These now have become arms of the Democrat Party, arms of the Biden administration. McCarthy said this on Sunday. Democrat, he said Democrats have taken over businesses to lie to the American public. This is just the beginning, and this is why we have got to get ready to go on January 3rd from the very beginning. Hear, here. Also, news item, far right or Democrat operatives. In the final week of the midterm elections, an opaque network of organizations spent several hundred thousand dollars attacking Republicans down ballot candidates from the right. Uh, and uh, the organization ran ads. The organization is called Kyle Tharp Reports. The organization ran ads accusing GOP candidates of being weak on immigration or secret globalist. In every case, the networks, the networks Republicans targeted lost their races. Here, Tharp examines the evidence that the network has direct ties to the Democrat operatives and firms. And finally, former FBI lawyer, Twitter censorship. Hmm. Months after becoming Twitter's deputy general counsel, former top FBI lawyer James Baker appeared to support big tech companies' censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story just before the 2020 election. The revelation comes from a string of internal Twitter messages published Friday evening by journalist Matt Tabby. More to follow. <clears throat> hey, some soul food. Today's gospel at Holy Mass, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And also today's uh, responsorial psalm, I love it. Bless, oh, bless the Lord my soul. And all my being, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. Not according to our sins does he deal with us, nor does he requite us according to our crimes. That's Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms today. <clears throat> but today's gospel is short and pithy. Jesus said to the crowds, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> so what does it mean? Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> this, is, this is actually taken from the Old Testament, this verse. It's taken from Sirach chapter 51, verse 23 and 26. Our Lord Jesus Christ today in the gospel, he's inviting the disciples to follow and learn from him as a model of perfect obedience to the Father. And Jesus is evoking an Old Testament passage, which is an invitation to the humble in the Old Testament. The, the God calls him the Anawim, the humble. In Sirach 51, wisdom, which is the personification of God, wisdom calls, it says in verse 51 to 23, 
draw near to me. Put your neck and put your neck under the yoke. Verse 26, and see with your eyes that I have labored little and found for myself much rest. These these parallels reinforce Jesus' self-identification with wisdom back in the Old Testament. He even called himself wisdom in today's gospel in uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. He also says that in him we'll find rest. Jesus' invitation, again, it was controversial with the unbelieving Jews because the Old Covenant celebration of the Sabbath centered on earthly rest from earthly labor, as it says in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. But Jesus is offering us a new Sabbath, which is heavenly rest in the new covenant, which we find in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. So it's not unlawful on the Sabbath. The Pharisees charged the disciples with with violating Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, which forbids the vesting on the Sabbath. But Christ is passing through the field, and this signifies his passing into the world through the incarnation. And the standing grain is a, is a harvest of souls ready to believe in the gospel and be gathered into the church by the hungry disciples. And our Lord Jesus Christ says, uh, again, the, uh, the Pharisees are legalist. They're, they hold to the letter of the law and they forget about the spirit of the law. There's a beautiful, there's a beautiful prayer. It's called the Litany of Humility, which will help you tap into today's gospel reading. <clears throat> These, the uh, Litany of Humility, it goes like this: Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wrong, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others... <clears throat> That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. What an absolutely breathtaking prayer. You're listening to The Terry and Jesse Show. <clears throat> Up next, I'm going to talk about the story of Our Lady Guadalupe. All week, many Hispanic parishes, like mine, are celebrating Our Lady Guadalupe. So uh, we'll get involved. We'll, we'll take a look at the history of this one of the 30 approved Marian apparitions. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back to Terry and Jesse show. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Ambrose of Milan, pray for us. Tomorrow is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. 
Don't forget it's the it's uh it's a holy day of obligation. And I'll tell you one thing, <clears throat> I don't feel obligated to go to Holy Mass. I feel drawn to go to Holy Mass because I'm in love with Jesus. I got a man crush on Jesus. I can't wait to see him every single day in Holy Communion. Okay, <clears throat> so Our Lady Guadalupe. Guadalupe, in the Indian dialect of the time, 500 years ago, it meant, quote, she who smashes the serpent. So how did Our Lady Guadalupe intervene in human history? Our Lady Guadalupe <clears throat> appeared four times in 1531 to a widower and now saint, Juan Diego. She appeared twice on December 9th, once on December 10th, and once on December 12th. St. Juan Diego was born at a time when the empire of the Aztecs was at its peak. St. Juan Diego was poor, but educated because of the highly advanced Aztec culture. <clears throat> Juan Diego married and became a farmer and hunter. He also built up a successful business making furniture and mats. As he grew older, he began contemplating the deep issues of life. Juan Diego pondered about the incompatibility of the highly developed Aztec civilization and their practice of human sacrifice. 1428 <clears throat> The Aztecs become the, the principal power in the Valley of Mexico amongst all the other tribes that were already there. You had the Mayas, you had the Toltecs, you had the Mystecs, you had the Incas. In 1487, there was the rededication of the great temple of Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan is what Mexico City used to be called Tenochtitlan. That was the, the Aztec way of saying it. <clears throat> they rededicated the great temple of Tenochtitlan. In that year, the Aztecs killed between 20,000 and 80,000 people on the temple grounds. On December 9th, 1531, which was a Saturday, Juan Diego was on his way to, to attend Holy Mass in what, it, in what is today Mexico City. It was dawn as he approached Tepeyac Hill. <clears throat> it, was, it, was, uh, it was a few miles from his destination. Juan Diego was no ordinary Indian, but the grandson of an Aztec king and the son of an Aztec king and queen. His family were direct descendants of Emperor Montezuma I. A very wicked man, by the way, as emperors usually are. As Juan Diego walked and neared the, the hill summit, something extraordinary happened. Unseen birds began to sing in the most beautiful way he had ever heard. He thought he was dreaming. The music was so extraordinary, like nothing he had ever heard before. The heavenly symphony stopped, and a sweet voice called him from the, from the summit of the hill. Juanito, Juan Dieguito. Hearing this, he climbed the hill. What he found upon reaching the top of the hill was a voice that would change his life forever. 
there in a rock stood a beautiful lady. Everything around her was transformed. Her clothing was as radiant as the sun. The rock she stood upon seemed to emit rays of gold. She was surrounded by the splendors of the rainbow. The, ta- the cactus and other plants nearby looked like emeralds, gold, and fine turquoise. Juan Diego bowed before this lady very respectfully. A tender dialogue between Our Lady and Juan Diego followed. She said, Listen, Juan Dieguito, where are you going? Juan Diego happily responded, My holy one, my lady, my damsel, I am on my way to your house at Mexico. I'm going to listen to our priest teach us about holy things. The celestial lady revealed to him that she was indeed the mother of God, telling him of her desire to have a church built where she might bestow all love, mercy, help, and protection upon all the people of this land. Juan Diego felt this overflowing love come over him. The celestial lady, the celestial lady said, quote, And to all the other people dear to me, who call upon me, who search for me, who confide in me, I will hear their sorrow, their words, and cure their illnesses and their calamities. Then our beloved lady, respecting the authority established by God, sends the noble Juan Diego with his message to the Bishop of Mexico. She tells him to accomplish the mission and she promises to reward his services. Juan Diego bows and tells her that he will go to the bishop to fulfill her wishes and he then leaves. Bishop Juan de Sumarraga was one of the first Franciscan missionaries to go to Mexico and the first bishop of that new land. When Juan Diego reached the bishop's residence, he promptly announced that he wished to deliver a message to the bishop. The servants made Juan Diego wait before following the audience, before before allowing him an audience. Obediently and with great enthusiasm, he told the bishop that he had been visited by the mother of God on a hilltop and she gave him a message to deliver. Bishop Sumarga listened attentively but told Juan Diego to return when they would, could discuss the matter at greater length. The bishop was skeptical. After all, how could he know and how could he know and trust that the story being told to him by Juan Diego was true. Juan Diego returned to Tepeyac Hill. As he approached the hill, Our Lady was waiting for him. He drew near and knelt. With sadness, he told Our Lady that he had failed in his mission. Juan Diego told her, My Holy One, most noble of persons, my lady, my damsel. Juan Diego explained why he failed. how unworthy he was for such a mission and how the bishop was suspicious. Our Lady listened tenderly and patiently as he suggested to Our Lady that she should instead send one of the well-known and upper and respected upper-class indigenous Indian men of the land. The bishop would then believe the message. Our Lady was not persuaded. 
she wanted him to accomplish the mission and said, I ask you, Juan Dieguito, and advise you with much care that you go again tomorrow to see the bishop and represent me. Tell him that my desire and my will is that he build a church upon this hill. Juan Diego did not fear the difficulty of the mission. He was only afraid that he was only afraid the mission would not be accomplished because the bishop would not believe his message was from Our Lady. However, Juan Diego told Our Lady that he would fulfill her command and return the following evening with the bishop's reply. Juan Diego said, I, I, And now I leave you, my damsel, my lady. Meanwhile, you rest. The next day he traveled to Holy Mass. Afterward, he went directly to the bishop's residence. He fell on his knees and repeated all that Our Lady had told him. The bishop was not, was not convinced of this apparition's authenticity. The bishop asked him questions about the lady. He asked Juan Diego for a sign that Our Lady, from her, that she wanted him to build a church. Juan Diego confidently stated that he would ask Our Lady for a sign. The bishop agreed and sent the few servants to follow Juan Diego and report on everything he did, but they lost him and could not find him. Juan Diego should have returned with the sign on Monday, but when he returned home, his uncle Juan Bernardino was seriously ill. His health worsened throughout Monday night, and on early Tuesday morning, his uncle asked Juan Diego to call a priest. Juan Diego obediently went, making sure his route did not pass near Tepeyac Hill, as he feared Our Lady could see him, would see him, and persuade him to continue the mission she entrusted to him. So he, short, he took a shortcut to hide from Our Lady. Meanwhile, he tended to his uncle's illness. Illness. Secretly walking along, he was discovered by Our Lady, who descended the slope and asked Juan Dieguito, Where are you going? What road is this you are taking? Caught red-handed, Juan Diego replied diplomatically and explained his predicament. My daughter, my lady, my virgin, forgive me. Be patient with me until I do my duty. And then tomorrow I will come back to you. One cannot help but smile while imagining Juan Diego in his simplicity, asking Our Lady to wait until he returned the next day after helping his dying uncle. The Mother of God responded affectionately. <clears throat> do not be frightened or grieved or let your heart be troubled. However great is the illness that you speak of, am I not here? I who am your mother, and is not my help a refuge? Our Lady told Juan Diego his uncle was already cured. Juan Diego rejoiced and asked her to give him the sign that the bishop wanted. She told him to go to the bishop to, and, and to go to the hilltop and cut the flowers he would find. Then he was to bring them back to her. It was December. It was cold and there was snow. <clears throat> Only cactus and a few other sparse plants grew on the hill. However, Juan Diego found Castilian roses in abundance and, and, and he delighted in their fragrance. He carefully cut several, wrapping them in a stilma or cloak made of cactus fiber. He returned to Our Lady and she tenderly arranged them inside a stilma with her own hands and commanded him to go to the bishop and show him the sign he was waiting for. She also told him not to open a stilma for anyone but the bishop. He went quickly to Bishop Sumarga, confident now he would accomplish Our Lady's request. Along the way, the wonderful fragrance of the roses pleased him. At the bishop's house, he was waiting for a long time. The servants saw him as a nuisance, 
made him wait until it was very late and even demanded to see what was in Estilma. Because he refused to show them, they pushed and knocked him about. When he perceived he would not see the bishop, he showed them something. He let them peek in the tilma. Seen and smelling the celestial roses, the servants made three attempts to take some. At each attempt, the roses miraculously became part of the tilma as if they were painted. After this small miracle, they allowed Our Lady's humble servant to, to inside to see the bishop. Juan Diego knelt down and began to explain all he saw and heard from Our Lady. The bishop listened intently to prove what he said was true. He untied a stilma and let the roses fall to the ground. I'll tell you what happens next. What the bishop saw when Juan, St. Juan Diego opened up a stilma. <laughs> you don't want to miss it. Terry and Jesse Show will be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. So what happened with when this indigenous Indian, this Aztec St. Juan Diego, we now call him, when he appeared in front of the bishop, he fell on his knees, he opened up the tilma, the painting, the bishop saw the painting of the Virgin Mary, of Our Lady Guadalupe, appear before his eyes at that moment. The bishop was stunned and unable to speak for a few moments. He fell to his knees. He had received the roses that he had asked the Virgin Mary as a sign that she was listening to his prayers for peace between the Aztecs and the Spaniards. Recalling their disbelief and mistreatment to the Blessed Mother's humble messenger, the servants were ashamed. Bishop Sumarraga be, became teary-eyed and he immediately believed that Our Lady had appeared to Juan Diego. He carefully took the tilma from Juan Diego, placed it in his private chapel, and entreated Juan Diego to stay with him for the night in the palace. The next day, with a crowd following behind them, the two went to the site where Our Lady wanted her church built. Juan Diego gave a detailed account of the, of the four apparitions. Then they went to see Juan Bernardino and check on the state of his health. Remember, Juan Bernardino was Juan Diego's uncle. <clears throat> Juan Bernardino was surprised to see his nephew Juan Diego, accompanied by the bishop and a crowd of ad admirers. Naturally, he asked what was happening. They told him Juan Bernardino, they, they told Juan Bernardino about the miracle. And he acknowledged that he was cured as well. He said that Our Lady <clears throat> appeared to him and cured him. She told him of her desire to be called Santa Maria de Guadalupe. In Spanish, this corresponds phonetically, which means, in the language of the Aztecs, it means she who smashes the serpent with a foot. 
was it not fitting that the Queen of Heaven, who so ardently desired to save these poor souls, should identify herself in the role that God ordained for her in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 as the woman who would crush the serpent's head? The bishop then displayed the tilma in the Cathedral of Mexico for public veneration and called on all to help in the construction of the new church, which was completed on December 26, 1531. <clears throat> on that day, a great procession was made from the cathedral to the new church. Spaniards and Indians, church and imperial officials alike, accompanied Our Lady Guadalupe to her new shrine. The Indians covered the whole path to Tepeyac with dancing and flowers. Amid the festive rejoicing, an over an overzealous Indian fired an arrow, mortally piercing the throat of another Indian. Obviously, there were cries and sobs over the dead Indian. Then, inspired by grace, all began to ask that his lifeless body be placed in front of the tilma. As everyone began to invoke Our Lady's of Guadalupe's help, the dead Indian came back to life. His throat instantly healed. Everyone cheered as he rose to his feet. Strengthened by the miracle, the procession resumed and the image was placed in the new shrine. Let's talk about the miracles within the Tilma that defy science. <clears throat> Here are several discoveries about the Tilma of Our Lady Guadalupe. Listen to what science and history have discovered about the Tilma. Number one, eye studies made on the eyes of Mary have detected that when the eye of Mary on the Tilma is exposed to light, the retina contracts and when the light is withdrawn, it returns to a dilated state, just as happens with a living eye. Scientists have discovered that the eyes of Mary on the tilma have three refractive characteristics of a human eye. Number two, the temperature of Juan Diego's tilma, made of a material that comes from the fibers of maguey cactus, maintains a constant temperature of 98.6, the same as that of a living human being. <clears throat> on a computer, the image of the Virgin comes out in three dimensions as a living person. This phenomenon also cannot be explained. All the defects of the tilma make the Virgin's face look perfect. That is, in the tilma, the lips, cheeks, and eyes of the Virgin protrude very slightly to give a lively appearance. Number three. A doctor who analyzed the tilma places stethoscope below the black hand below the black band, excuse me, the black band at Mary's waist, and heard rhythmic beats at 115 pulses per minute, the same as that of a baby in a mother's womb. Number four, no sign of paint has been discovered on the tilma. Scientific studies have not been able to discover the origin of the coloration nor the way the image was painted. They cannot detect vestiges of brush strokes or any other known painting technique. In fact, NASA scientists confirmed that the paint material on the tilma does not belong to any element on planet Earth. Number five, when the tilma was examined under a laser ray, it was shown 
that there's no coloration on the front or the back of the cloth, and that the colors hover at a distance of about three-tenths of a millimeter, or one one-hundredth of an inch, over the tilma cloth, without actually touching it. The colors actually float above the surface of the tilma. <laughs> this is amazing. Number six, <clears throat> the rough material of the tilma has a lifespan of no more than 20 to 30 years. Several centuries ago, a, repl a replica of the image was painted on an identical piece of maguey cloth, and it disintegrated after several decades. Nonetheless, during the almost 500 years of the miracle, the cloth and the image of Mary remains as strong as it was on the first day. Science cannot explain why the material has not yet disintegrated. Again, unexplainable by science. Number seven. In the year 1791, muriatic acid accidentally spilled on the upper right side of the tilma. During the period of 30 days, without any special treatment, the affected fabric on the tilma of Guadalupe repaired itself miraculously. Number eight. The stars that appear on the, on the mantle of Mary reflects the exact configuration and positions that could be seen in the sky of Mexico on the day the miracle happened. There are 46 stars on the tilma, by the way, that's the exact number of books in the Catholic Old Testament Bible. Number nine. In the year 1921, <clears throat> an evil man, he was a communist, hated the Catholic Church, concealed a high-power bomb in a flower arrangement and placed it at the feet of the tilma. The explosion destroyed everything in the church. Everything around it except for the tilma which remained intact and was not damaged. <clears throat> I've seen the tilma and everything that I'm sharing with you right now. I've, uh, I've seen it myself and I've read the scientific studies. Point number 10. In the eyes of Mary, minuscule human figures were discovered that no artist could have painted. The same scene is repeated in, in each eye. Using digital technology, the images of the eye, in the eyes of Mary were enlarged many times, revealing that, revealing that each eye reflected the figure of an Indian, Juan Diego, opening a stilma in the front of Bishop Sumarga. The size of this image in her eyes is one-fourth of a millimeter, or one one-hundredth of an inch. All of these things, unex, all of these unexplainable things were given to us for a reason, to catch our attention. There's other points that touch on our Catholic faith that's seen through the eyes of St. Juan Diego. <clears throat> what else is seen in the image of the Virgin Mary? Her head is bowed. Her hands are in prayer. And her knee is slightly raised up as if, she, as if she wants to kneel to something greater than herself. These characteristics showed Aztecs that she's not a goddess. She wants to teach us that there's something greater than her. She also, you, they also noticed that her neck was laced with gold and a black cross hung underneath. The Aztecs remember remembered that this is a symbol that the priests and the ships that came from Spain had on their mast in front of the ship. The Aztecs realized that this woman is on the side of the Catholic priest. She is from this Catholic world. At the same time, she's trying to unite us. As the Aztecs gazed and studied the tilma, they saw that Our, Our Lady is covering 
Tonantu, the, the god of the sun, for the Aztecs. She's overshadowing him. The Aztecs also believed in this fierce serpent god, Quetzalcoatle, which means a serpent with the feathers. He's represented in Aztec art as a symbol of the white half moon. The Aztecs, when looking at the image of the Virgin of the Guadalupe, see that their fierce god, Quetzalcoatle, is at the feet of this holy virgin as a black moon. In other words, as a burned out dead moon. And on the site where Our Lady appeared on the hilltop of Tepeyac, this was sacred ground of the Aztecs. This, this was where Tonantzin, the earth goddess, was worshipped. Our Lady, appearing in Tepeyac Hill, indicated to the Aztecs, I have conquered Tonantzin, the earth goddess. The Aztecs, upon seeing the image of Our Lady Guadalupe on the Tilma, thought, we no longer have to worship these gods. They are dead. Let's, let's look at three surprising facts and wrap it up. To the, in the Indian language, Guadalupe means she who smashes a serpent. This refers to the same woman of Genesis 3.15, Mary who is the conqueror of evil. And this image also depicts a detail of Revelation chapter 21. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and a moon under her feet. Stick around, we'll be right back. Church Militant, we're going to catch up with the news on the church and the culture with the eyes of the Catholic faith. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. This is our Wednesday segment with Church Militant. We have an anchor, James Fidewood. Welcome, James, to the Terry and Jesse Show, and talk to us about uh, the news on the church, politics, and the culture with the lenses of a Catholic. Yes, yeah, thank you, Jesse, for having me on again. Uh, the, the first one we have is, is kind of an uh, uh, eye-opener here. We have uh, Father Marco Rupnik. Um, he was accused of doing some uh, pretty bad stuff. Uh, he um, broke the seal of confession and was um, excommunicated, but uh, just like, like days after that, just a little while after that, uh, Pope Francis pardoned him and lifted the excommunication. So he, uh, scandalous, I mean, scandalous, is very, very scandalous uh, Jesuit. Uh, you can do with that what you will. But um, he is very close with Pope Francis. Uh, he is very, uh, he's rumored to be very uh, like a, a close advisor uh, of the Pope and um, kind of a uh, uh, big figure around the Vatican. And uh, he he's done he's uh, artist he's done mosaics uh, the uh, various popes have actually asked him to uh, do certain images certain paintings um, he did the image for the 2022 uh, meeting on the families he uh, was the artist that made that so uh, yeah we just see uh, just cover up and uh, protecting. Your friends in the hierarchy, Pope, the Pope protecting his friends in the hierarchy. And yeah, you're exactly right, Jesse. It's just, it's scandalous. And I think a lot of Catholics are scratching their heads at this point. You know, this reminds me, I, I, I read an article uh, put out by the FS, FSSPX News. The article says they no longer believe in the devil. And he's talking about bishops and priests. Uh, to me, 
you have to have lost your supernatural faith uh, to be involved in, in the types of things that some of some of these things, uh, a clergy are involved in. What's interesting is since the priest and a bishop, since their bodies are consecrated to God, especially their hands, anything that they do with their hands <clears throat> that's outside the pale of the liturgy or 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 or, or sinful, like breaking the sixth and ninth commandment. Anything a priest does with his body, specifically his hands, is now a ritual to Satan because the entire priest's body is consecrated to God. And so it, it, it tells me, James, that a lot of these guys have lost A, their supernatural faith. Number two, they don't believe in God. And uh, their exit interview is not going to be it's not going to be pretty if they don't repent, because all of us, whether you were a caller or not, all of us go to heaven the same way. You must live in a state of sanctifying grace, period. No exception. Yeah. You can say, hey, i got a Roman collar. I can break all these commandments because I get... No, you don't. Everybody goes through that door that says Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. That Jesus door demands that you live and die in a state of sanctifying grace. And my uh, my heart breaks when I just see, again, uh, Cardinal uh, World said well back ago that all these things that, that we bring up, they happened decades and decades ago. Really? <laughs> Every single yeah. day, you guys or somebody else, complicit clergy, they uncover a new scandal. And so what me, what basically what that tells me is that the 2002 th- uh, uh, Dallas Charter needs to be rewritten. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. It, it just it <sighs> seems Catholic, good Catholics, at least, uh, always have their eyes on heaven and eternal life and, and, and getting there. Uh, and I don't yeah. see how these, these guys can keep doing what they're doing, but also have their eyes on eternal life without some serious, like, self-reflection. And maybe what I'm doing or what the, what I'm not doing, uh, depending on the situation, is uh, not going to get me to heaven. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and let, let me just make one uh, correction here. Uh, actually, he... The uh, Father Ruptic actually did not break the seal of confession. Uh, he absolved a woman of her sins because oh. he was having relations with her. God. Uh, okay. So that, that's why he was excommunicated. Still very, very serious. Uh, God help us. What's, what else do you got uh, on the evening news? On, on, uh, so, the, uh, on the Yes, uh, this is in uh, Ontario. A student um, was... Um, a little concerned about his uh, school policy that uh, transgender men who think they're women, I, I don't know their, their lingo, so I'm just going to say men who think they're women uh, can walk into a woman's restroom and use it and, and, and act like they're a woman. So he was very concerned with that and uh, went to the uh, school and said, listen, you know, this, uh, uh, girls in our, my, my classmates have come to me and said they're really concerned about this. This guy is in the, their restroom doing his thing. And uh, they said they wouldn't take his concern seriously unless a girl said it. So uh, there, there were some walkouts, and he got in big trouble for that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just... That that blew me away. That they said they wouldn't take his concerns seriously unless a girl said it. I think I feel like, especially in the abortion fight, they tried to pull the men into it and say, you know, this is your fight too. You guys have to be, you know, fighting for, uh, you know, women's reproductive health rights. It's the right to kill their child. Uh, but uh, here, uh, if a guy comes to the school saying, hey, girls are talking to me, they're very concerned. 
they don't do anything about it. So it's just corruption and just, uh, you know, there's, there's mis, mismanagement, mis, uh, horrible leadership, even in our own schools. You know what? This reminds me of, uh, well, it, this, this goes all the way to the top. If you look at the, the Biden administration, uh, unelected Joe Biden, he, he has several transgender people that work for him in the highest offices in his administration. His what kind of, administration what, looks like a circus act. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, what what type of message does that send to people, the young people maybe watching TV and, you know, they see him on the nightly news and they see uh, that Navy admiral and that other one that's uh, got the satanic wardrobe and the other one uh, that just got caught yes, with the pentagram it, on his chest. Yeah. It, it, this, I mean, and then you have also in uh, a lot of public schools, obviously the, the public school uh, legislators are okay with it. They have drag queens. These mm-hmm. are men who think they're women dressing up as women with tight with women's clothes that's you know two sizes three sizes too small for them uh and they're they're dancing uh if you call it a dance i mean they're gyrating their bodies or they're they're uh yes. reading to them uh stories that what we're seeing right now i'm telling you james this diabolical disorientation mm-hmm. on a on the on a large scale and and you know what we just as catholics we have to just put on our that the, the the helmet of salvation, the armor of God, and realize we will be fighting the diabolical left until each of us breathes his last breath. Mm-hmm. Until the Lord calls you home personally, just know this, roll up your sleeves and get ready, because we're going to be fighting every single day until you breathe your last breath. Absolutely, yes. I totally agree. Yeah, and I mean, especially since they're going after children, innocent little children. I mean, in those videos that you mentioned Jesse of the uh, like the drag queens dancing and and, and gyrating and just doing horrible things. There, there's usually like little children, like eight, ten, eleven year olds in the audience, throwing money at them. I mean, it's just insane how they go after children so viciously and so unrelentingly. Yep. And by the way, and, and the and the Democrat Party, they have no problem with this. They're they're all behind it. They're they're supportive of this uh, type of uh, di- if they're not enabling it themselves and, and like pushing it <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. what exactly. else we got uh the last one i have is the the lily endowment i don't know if uh you've ever heard of that but mm-hmm. it's a huge huge fund uh billions of dollars in that thing um mm-hmm. they are partnering with um notre dame university boston college these 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 liberal these liberal colleges and trying to target the hispanic population and mm take them and, and, and train them to become the, uh, I forget the exact phrase they used, but it was the uh, like future Hispanic religious leaders or future Hispanic wow. pastors. I mean, it's like $7.9 million that this endowment is giving to these universities to, to carry that out and start, you know, like tr- training these uh, new Hispanic pastors for. So the, the angle that we're taking with this is, Leading up to the uh, uh, 2022, the the midterms, there was a a trend that we were seeing. The Hispanic vote was sort of shifting Republican, and usually that you know demographic has been like in the in the past that has been a a a a Democrat uh, voting block, but it was starting to shift red. So these pastors, I mean, this is all again liberal universities. They're going to get trained up 
and uh, taught horrible theology, um, if theology at all. I mean, they're probably learning, you know, uh, LGBT ideology, uh, you know, uh, got to be pro-choice, got to meet people where they're at, all this gobbledygook theology. theology. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Marxism. And, uh, so, so that is what's that's what they're going to go out into the world and preach. This is <sighs> extraordinarily communist. I mean, the, the communists try to infiltrate religious organizations, be it Methodists, uh, Baptists, uh, Catholics. Um, they they try to infiltrate those organizations. They put their own people in, train them up, get them going, and then it's. All they have to do is just sit by and watch the, just the poison just take over. It's the same thing Margaret Sanger did with the black community in, a, in her Negro extermination project. She said, there was, it was a, there's a parallel. She said, we're going to take the educated uh, Negro politician, pastor, and sell them on abortion, and they would basically be able to communicate that to the, you know, to the, to the, to the simple folk, uh, you know, to the man in the pew. And now they're doing that with Hispanics as well. There's a book called The Naked Communist that basically it, it got uh, it tells you exactly how the communists. I think it was written like in the '60s, uh, but it tells you exactly the communist infiltration into the Protestant and the Catholic churches. I mean, this is this has been a long time in the making. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the they hate religion. I mean, the the whole communist yeah. ideology is 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 totally atheist and hates religion. And our our. Uh, I just watched uh, uh, our, our Marion Moment episodes. I watched every single one of them. And uh, I mean, they, they point out to the, to the nth degree that communism is totally against any kind of religion, but especially Catholicism. That's right. Hey, James, thanks survive. a lot, brother. Thank you for keeping us updated on the weekly news. Where can people watch you guys? Uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time is where you can watch us on churchmilitant.com. We go, uh, it's, it's on then, so uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time, no longer Thanks. 7. Five. Thank you, partner. We'll see you, ne- we'll see you next week. God bless you. God bless uh, keep, you. Yes. Keep, keep fighting the good fight. Will do. All right, that's a wrap. Jess uh, Romero here at Terry and Jesse's show. Remember, live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of moral sin. Pray rosary every single day. Go to Mass tomorrow. It's a holy day of obligation. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.